0: Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the show. The Denver Nuggets will be taking on the Phoenix Suns in Game 3 in Phoenix tomorrow. When you look at some of the uh, maneuverings around the NBA playoffs. Of course, last night, the uh, Celtics got revenge on the Philadelphia 76ers who surprised them in game one without Joel Embiid with the MVP showing up as suffice it to say, he did not look hundred percent
1: right. He and, had uh, no business playing in that game, none. And even the announcers were saying, if you've got to wear a knee brace that bulky and that cumbersome, you shouldn't be on the floor. I'm not saying don't wear any knee brace at all, but they suggested on the telecast, I think it was, uh, Uh, Allie LaForce doing the sideline, and and she had a a good report. She said they had tried several braces, and they must have said, we have to come up with the most cumbersome possible brace (laughs) to put on that knee um, if if we're going (laughs) to medically clear him to play. And my answer would have been, then he shouldn't be medically cleared to play. you, You won without him. Because he's falling down. Now, one Instance early in the game was clearly a flop, and Grant Williams got the foul for Boston, (laughs) and the expression on his face, he didn't touch Embiid. Embiid just fell down, trying to draw a foul on a flop, which is undignified for the present-day MVP. In any case, a few minutes later, he's running down the floor, and he just falls down. Mm -hmm. There's nobody near him, and he's not flopping. He just falls down. And at that point, I think it was Reggie Miller uh, doing the game with Kevin Harlan. And if I'm mistaken on that, I'll stand corrected. But in any case, I, I think it was Reggie Miller who said that brace is really bothering him. Yeah, <laughs> and he, he simply had no business playing. And I I don't say I agree with Stephen A. Smith all that often, uh, but he said on ESPN uh, a day or two back, certainly before the game started last night, that having won Game One in Boston. Calculate the risk-reward benefits of playing Embiid in Game Two. There's no reason you play. If him in he's game got two. that much
0: that he has to wear,
1: there's, there's no reason to play him. And, and you, you won your game in Boston. Get him healthier. Maybe it's five percent. Maybe it's ten percent. Maybe he doesn't have to wear quite as cumbersome a knee brace. But don't play him in Game Two. You have no reason to and, play and him in Game have Two. Made the and argument yet they played him.
0: That if that was going to be the case. You maybe should have looked at things about halftime with James Harden and decided, okay, we're going to rest him, too, because, of course, he played that brilliant opening game, 45 points in the opener to get that surprise win. But it appeared that, you know, turning back the clock has its costs. 32 minutes last night, two yeah, for 14 shooting.
1: Yeah, but, I understand. And he wasn't going to play anything like that, whether MB played or not. He was not going to have anything close to But that I do get the, the argument But, but he there. only played 32 minutes. It, it, MB played 27 minutes. That's 27 wasted minutes, 27 minutes of additional wear and tear. I don't care what kind of brace he's wearing. And it was simply uh, malpractice either by the medical people or by the 76er brass in overruling the medical people and striking this kind of absurd bargain that if you construct a brace that's bulky enough, he has to be able to play. It's just a matter of you concocting something that uh, it, it, he might as well have been carrying a, a fifty-pound knapsack on his back.
0: Yeah, it looked uh, it, it was it was a little bit silly, and I think the point was: yes, he won MVP uh, immediately after his team went out and won Game One without him entirely in what would be their given the playoff position, the biggest game of the year for them, and then they don't need Embiid at all so I think there was some pressure to try to uh, go ahead and and play in that game but yeah it'll be interesting to see where all this this goes but I looked at that and I thought a little bit about the Phoenix Suns simply because (laughs) you have an an injury prone player in Joel Embiid extraordinary talent but injury prone there's no way around that you have an, an aging player in James Harden who isn't able to give you As much as he used to, not that there's anything wrong with his game, as you can tell, but it is his age and the mileage, uh, given all the games he's played in his career, not going to consistently have those type of performances. And I could not help but look at the challenges that Phoenix has right now with Kevin Durant in a somewhat similar situation, MVP caliber player that has been injury prone and is, let's say, to a certain extent, somewhat fragile when it comes to missing games and an aging Chris Paul that is now out for at least the next two games of the series. And the potential risk of stacking your team with a pair of talents like that, and it it, it happened to work in a roundabout fashion for Philly in Game One. In Game Two, it, it backfired in spectacular fashion. And for the Suns,
1: they haven't had any well, traction at Philly all. In the changed first two the games. It changed the way it 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 aligned itself in in Game Two. I listen, you, the wounded tiger theory only applies for so long. Boston, with or without Joe LMB playing for Philadelphia, is a better team. Boston should never have lost game one. They played with their food. A couple of guys got hot on Philly's side, and not just James Harden, but Maxie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harris had a great game. Uh, they had help from their bench. Melton was very good in game one. And all these guys came back to earth, all of them did, in game two, I would have gone out and said, Boston didn't respond very well to our smaller lineups, and Reed played a perfectly good game in the middle for us in game one. We're going to run that back. And almost certainly we'll lose the game, but we're not going to win with Joe LNB playing at 20%, 30%. And that's all he was last night. He was a shadow of the player he once was uh, before the injury. Uh, The MVP player he was this year. He wasn't even close to that. Yeah, he blocked a few shots. But Reed had a block or two, I think, in game one. So what if he blocked a few shots? He couldn't score. He couldn't maneuver. Uh, The Celtics ran roughshod when he was in the game. Over the 76ers. He was minus 23 in 27 minutes. You you can't be a living, breathing human being and be worse than that over 27 minutes of NBA pretty hard playoff to. competition. Yeah. It's, it's, you're, you're giving up a point a minute. Right. And nothing's coming back. You're giving up a point a minute over anything on you want. 24 add. second
0: shot clock. I mean, uh, it's pretty a 24 tough. second yeah. shot
1: clock. It is tough to be minus 23 in 27 minutes. And I can't imagine that Embiid wasn't thinking after the game, I should have stood in bed. I'd have been better off. Just stay in bed and don't give them a chance to evaluate me. Don't shoot around in the morning. A shoot around does not get you ready to play a game that night. The 76ers apparently cleared him after the shoot around. He didn't do anything in the shoot around. Then they said he had a pregame workout that was a little more intense, I guess. I think I understood them to say that. But to me, that was totally irresponsible uh, because it was so completely unnecessary. They were going to lose the game most likely anyway. They didn't need the game. There are playoff games, believe it or not, that really aren't very important. And the least important playoff game takes place in game two after you've won game after one on you've road. won on the road in game one. Yep. You are right. There's... You already have home court. Yes. You'd like to go up 2-0 but I know it's a different sport. The Rangers beat the devils five, one, five, one in the first two games in New Jersey. And remind me again, how that series turned out. It was a route after that mm-hmm. in New Jersey's favor. They come back and they win four of the next five games and the four games they win, as I remember, weren't especially close, including the seventh game that they won by a score of four Four to nine. So this, this idea, even that winning two games on the road is going to put you uh, in a position of uh, uh, guaranteed advancement to the next round of the playoffs is nonsense anyway. And it, It just, I I couldn't believe what I was watching. Even in the first quarter when the game was relatively close, I couldn't believe he was out there. Strange
0: decision. And and
1: when you you
0: bring it back to a certain extent to Phoenix for tomorrow's game, the Nuggets will be taking on the Phoenix Suns in Phoenix. That will be an 8 p.m. tip tomorrow following Boston-Philly game three. They at least had Joel Embiid And yes, they have uh, two star talents and a a bunch of rather good complimentary players. The Phoenix Suns have built those around three star talents, one of whom uh, will be 38 on Saturday and unavailable to play. Yes. But at least in the case of Philly, you had Embiid and Harden, who in theory could at least be doing what they were normally doing their normal roles. That's not a luxury
1: the Phoenix Suns will have anymore due to the. Oh, no. Listen, they're down 2 0. Uh, They have to win the two home games to make it a series. The 3-1 deficit, they won't be coming back from that, especially since Paul is out definitely for the next two and most likely for the next three games. He's going to miss at least a week, at least a week with that injury, according to every report I've seen. Every single one. He's going to miss at least three games. So, you know, they're going to have to ramp it up and play Durant and Booker 40 to 45 minutes a night. They, they have no other choice. There's no other way they can win. They don't have a, even a replacement for Paul, much less anybody they can sub in for more than three or four or five minutes right. during the course of a game for either Durant or Booker. So they, they're going to have to virtually go the entire way. You might sneak in a breather uh, for for either one, especially given the burden you're putting on Booker in particular. Right. But that's it, and 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 they've got to win. My point with Philly is they didn't have to win last night, and they still took a huge risk by playing Embiid, and it didn't pay off at all except to make Embiid look silly and leave people laughing at the 2022-2023 20, 20, most valuable player, laughing at him, at, 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 at how much of a stooge he looked like trying to play last night with that ridiculous knee brace on. So now uh, Philly finds themselves kind
0: of, uh, they don't waste their game one win because, as you pointed out, Sandy, they did split. Right. On, I mean, they have right. home home court advantage in a now best of five series. But but you're right, an interesting choice. Now, that's the luxury the Suns don't have. The Suns have to win now. They have to win on Friday. 3-0 uh, is enough, given the injury situations, that uh, I could actually see, even despite the fact Durant's a heck of a competitor, and as is Booker. I think even 3-0 is enough for the Suns to get a feeling, much like maybe the Colorado Avalanche did at the end of their run of realizing, okay, maybe this isn't in the cards for us. Maybe it's this series, maybe it's next, but but winning the title may not be in the cards. I think we're the Nuggets to beat the Suns on Friday.
1: The Suns may end up folding, and this could be a sweep. I would never say that the Phoenix Suns are the worst of the remaining eight teams in the playoffs because that, I, that, yeah, I, I don't think I that's true. That either, However, no. in the Western Conference, there are three contending teams. And given the injury to Chris Paul, then there's the Phoenix Suns, who are the worst team remaining in the Western Conference playoffs by the, a and wide and the one with March. the longest,
0: uh, longest odds of making it as well, for sure,
1: obviously. And that, right that's a big change from they a were, week ago when they were plus 200 prohibitive to favorite. win at least a spot, I think, in the NBA Finals, if not win the title. They were plus 200, weren't they, to get to mm-hmm. out of the West, the NBA yes, Finals. not necessarily to win. Yes. But among Western teams, the next best odds were plus 550. That was a week ago. Mm-hmm. That was a week ago, before they lost Chris Paul. Now, their odds are longer than any other team in the West. Uh, the Lakers, Golden State, Nuggets all have better odds, much better odds than Phoenix does of advancing, and that's because, at least for now, the Lakers are healthy. Golden State is healthy. The Nuggets, healthy.
0: End up 2-0, Phoenix, mind you.
1: <laughs> not healthy. And even if the Nuggets are down 2-0, they'd have a better than 50-50 chance, in my view of winning the series, if Chris Paul couldn't play the next three games, and it looks like, at least for the next two, Chris Paul will be out, and... You know, you talk about Cameron Payne. If it was Cameron Payne of two years ago, okay, one or two games you might get by without Paul, but it isn't the Cameron Payne of two years ago. It's the Cameron Payne of 2023, who is a wholly inadequate replacement for Chris Paul, as we saw in Game Two. Right,
0: and I think that's uh, that part of it is is really quite fascinating because yes, you're, uh, you you look at this situation all of a sudden, and and uh, look, the the odds right now. Over in Vegas uh, to now win win the championship. Number one, okay. the Celtics plus one seventy five. Now keep in mind, it was, it was
1: it was the Celtics have been the leader for a while because the path through after Milwaukee got knocked well, out became easier. Well, but, sure, and and the other thing is Boston was the Eastern Conference representative in the finals. Last then year. it was the Suns, right? And as this series started,
0: in many places it was the Warriors and then the Nuggets. Behind Philly, the Nuggets were fifth. Now all of a sudden, yeah. you're looking at the Celtics at plus 175, the Nuggets at plus 400, the Lakers at plus 500, the Warriors at plus 650, the Celtics—I mean the Sixers—pardon me—at plus 650 as well, and the Suns, plus 1200. Nixon is way some, far behind. Isn't but that it something. just they shows you how quickly
1: 200 at least to make the finals. To plus twelve hundred. Four win the teams titles.
0: just to win the West. The Suns plus six fifty. The Warriors plus three seventy five. The Lakers plus two twenty five, and the Nuggets plus one thirty. Almost twice as oh. good as the
1: Lakers. Wow, that that does surprise me a little bit because again, that's that they're setting that up according to what the betting public feels, feels and the betting right. public really likes the Nuggets, starting to buy into and, and it. And speaking of liking the Nuggets, uh, Sean Keeler wrote a terrific column today on Aaron Gordon and on the value of Aaron Gordon and the defensive value in particular in this series where he has smothered Kevin Durant in two games. But uh, there was one section of the column uh, and I understand making the point that, that he's had value, but I think and I assuming you agree that we're getting a little carried away when we go to and I like Most metrics. (laughs) Yeah, I I, think, yeah. But any metric, including in this case, offensive efficiency rating during the course of the playoffs, any metric that shows Aaron Gordon to have been the Nuggets' best player in the playoffs and Michael Porter Jr., who played 23 minutes in game two the other night, to have been the second best player on the Nuggets in the playoffs so far. Nikola Jokic at number three, and Sean didn't go beyond that, but I would assume that Jamal Murray might be number four, but number four at best, any metric that in the playoffs so far as Nikola Jokic as only Denver's third best player and Jamal Murray as their fourth best player at best should be thrown out the window and stomped upon Post-taste.
0: Yes, uh, hard to to disagree with that because yeah, when you are talking about, I mean, and look, I I get it. You want to you want to dig things up and, and look through it slice and dice in a lot of ways. I get it, but at the same time, if you were to look at the same that same metric during the regular season, because you know it's done by hundred percent possessions, and you were to look at the third best player on the team uh, in the regular season, it would have been Zeke Naji and Vlatko Chalchar would have been fourth. <laughs> so let's let's <laughs> everything has to be taken within
1: context right They've and played seven games right why, why are you with such a small sample size going to offensive efficiency rating and a big deal was made about and, and it was bruce brown who's a pretty good guy to go to uh saying this well you know aaron gordon's out there shooting threes and gun-. that's exactly what the opponents want him, him to, to, do, to do they want him to do he, that he will never sustain
0: the a, kind of a, a shooting, four twenty-one shooting
1: percentage, right from, from three-point three range. You want him taking those shots if you're the opponent, and I'm sure the Suns would be more than happy to let Aaron Gordon shoot threes uh, as far as his heart desires in games three and four.
0: We will dig into that because it is it is interesting to look at those numbers and the offensive rating and defensive rating have value, but this is sort of the idea of where. Statistics and analytics fit within the the pantheon of how to evaluate a game. The games, Yeah. And <laughs> it's a little bit of both because, by the way, I get it. Small sample size, but technically not to pick on uh, Sean Keeler because I'm sure he did. Oh, I, no, it, it's not. Did, it's uh, not on I'm, Sean. I'm sure I'm sure that he did preface that with a certain number. But Aaron Gordon is not technically the Nuggets leader in offensive rating in the postseason per hundred possessions. He's well, not. I'll it, tell it's you somebody who's played two minutes. Uh, well, he's played seven. But we'll tell you. But Jamal Murray isn't where you think he is either. So we'll look at look at this and realize that the difference between looking at small sample analytics as compared to watching with your eyes and taking it as all parts of the puzzle to compare how the nuggets are doing. We'll do that next on my life sports. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Well, as we're talking about the Denver Nuggets and how the the Nuggets performance in the early going, seven games in the playoffs for the the Nuggets, the number one leader in offensive rating, which is a per (laughs) hundred possessions. A stat is Peyton Watson. Now he's only played seven minutes, seven minutes but a remarkably seven uh, effective seven minutes, uh, obviously. Because if you, this these are where things get silly, right? You do the per hundred possessions, and and you get small sample sizes. Peyton well, Watson would be averaging twenty one point eight points a game, with twenty one point eight rebounds and seven point three uh, uh, assists. Okay. Obviously, uh, that's not happening. Stop it. But that's where I I get it. Gordon has shot the three uncharacteristically well. He has also. Been good at his free throws, which is critically important. And something, again, one of the things the Nuggets need to be aware of, and quite frankly, one of the things that Aaron Gordon needs to be aware of, as good as he has been playing, he will regress towards the mean at some point. He will eventually become, whether it may be his next game on Friday or, or in the series or next series, eventually he will have a game and start having games where he looks a little bit more like himself. In fact, if you could look the way mathematics generally work, he's due for a couple subpar games. And that's how it tends to even out. That's why we call them averages, but the nuggets need to be aware of that. And Gordon does too, because he can't fall into the trap. You had it on the head. Uh, the sons are going to be perfectly content to let him shoot threes. And if he makes them, he makes them, they're going to live with that. That this is the equivalent of, of, of sort of the inverse of the nuggets, accepting that Kevin Durant's going to score 30, 35 points. He just is. And we'll just accept that. We just can't let some of these other guys get going. Uh, Believe me, with all due respect to what Shonkiller wrote in the post, and as great a series as Gordon has played in this series for sure, I'm not sure he was actually phenomenal in the Minnesota series. I th- I thought that Carl Anthony Towns made I, his I, job a little easier, quite frankly, by just camping I, out I, the pinpoint. I agree.
1: But well, again, the Gordon. stats and even the, the basic fundamental stats showed that he outplayed Carl Anthony Towns. Yep. I, I'll buy that. Sure. But. It has more to do with Carl anthony Towns being generally overrated yes. than it has to do and with uh, uh, Aaron Gordon. Well, if he can stop Carl anthony Towns, he sure can smother Kevin Durant. Yeah, no, uh, one me. has nothing to do with the other. <laughs> do He's done an excellent job. He's a fine defensive player. And the people around him have been defending a little more rigorously, and that includes Jokic, I believe, in these playoffs so far and especially in the first two games against Phoenix, so that Aaron Gordon doesn't have to help weaker defensive players. And he is, of the five Nuggets starters, he is the best defensive player of the five, and he may be, even by comparison with Bruce Brown and Christian Brown, the best defensive player on the roster. That's And, and, and I'm glad that he was guarding Towns in the Minnesota series, although there were other people – causing Towns difficulty, too. And Gordon found and himself in foul I'm trouble I'm glad oftentimes. he's guarding Durant. Sure. I'm glad he's guarding Durant, and he's doing a hell of a job through the first two games in guarding Durant. Uh, Michael Malone had it right when he said that the takeaway from his point of view in the playoffs so far with respect to Aaron Gordon is his selflessness. And I, sure. I agree completely. That needs to continue. Because... When you look at
0: Gordon's game, and like I said, offensively, it will regress. And if you're the Suns, what, what's your primary concern? Nikola Jokic. What's your secondary concern? Jamal Murray. What's your third concern? It's probably Michael Porter Jr. Offensively. Offensively. On defense. And, and if you're the Suns and you're concerned on defense, which they only moderately are anyway, but let's say they were more concerned, these are the order
1: in which no, they're putting Those it. are the guys who are concerned Aaron with and Gordon offense. is fourth. No, oh, ma- no matter, I, I don't best, care. I don't care sport. what
0: he's playing, what his offensive rating is. I don't care what his effective field goal percentage is. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows that thus far, and especially in the first two games of this series, he's shot uncharacteristically well. Yeah, one of the things and the fallacies that people make mistakes when they uh, and this happens when people use analytics and even when they go with the eye test. There's always this idea. That one thing carries over to another, that because Aaron Gordon shot well in game one and game two, he'll shoot well in game three. And that does not actually pan out. That is not the case. One does not lead to another. Commonality is not causality. And, and people make the mistake all the time. And mathematicians do it and scouts do it. And so that's the important part to understand. But the law of averages is real. And so the Phoenix Suns will be more than content to let Aaron Gordon camp out by the three-point line if he wants to do it. If he wants to. And stay to. away from the basket and stay away from being able to defend down low and stay away from grabbing rebounds and put back dunks. That's what he needs to focus on. Now, thus far, he has. He has. Yeah, is... you're right. The
1: blend has been ideal. Yes, it really One has. One of the reasons he's gotten to the foul line four times he's a game in the playoffs the rack, is that he's around the rim. And he was doing that through the first, I would say two thirds of the season, as well as anybody, and having through that stretch his best period to play with the Nuggets, going back to the time he joined the team, it's not only playoffs, realistic. regular season. Oh yeah, this beginning of this season was the best he's ever played. Yes, the best. The last third of the season when Jokic didn't play as much. Gordon ventured into some of those areas in which he is not as strong and he wasn't as good a player. He also had an injury, Mm -hmm. and when he came back from the injury from that time through the end of the regular season, frankly, he wasn't very good. The week off, which to his credit, Malone said would be a major advantage for the Nuggets in particular having that week between the end of the regular season and the start of the playoffs for the Nuggets, who weren't in the play-in tournament, obviously, that's the value of not being in the play-in tournament. You don't have to play any basketball games for almost a full week. This is the so healthiest team
0: in the Western Conference. Right. And I granted, I understand that the, the Lakers are now more or less healthy, as are the Warriors, but they're having to still reassemble some of their team on the fly because of the injuries. The, the Nuggets are right now, have been and are the healthiest team in the West and, and that matters. But I think when you when you look at the Gordon situation in particular, and and I'm just gonna look at, at the regular season numbers. The idea that that the three-point shooting by Gordon has much difference, it really doesn't. In wins this year, 45 wins that Aaron Gordon played in. He shot Two and a half three-point attempts per game made 33 percent of them. In the losses, 23 of them, in which he played in, he shot 2.7 three-pointers and made 37.7. So no matter what, he was shooting roughly the same amount of three-pointers. Actually, shot better in losses, and I would contend there's a reason for that because you're drawing him away from the things he does
1: the best. Where it can be the, the most damaging um, and and effective. Around the basket, and, you know, and he draws fouls. He doesn't get fouled on jumpers.
0: Let me give you some of these other numbers, Some guys
1: too. do. He
0: doesn't. When you look at his shooting percentage, despite the fact the three-point percentage was better in in losses, the overall field goal percentage worse, 55.2 to 57.2, as it was in wins. When you look at, at the rebounds and the assists, as you can imagine, even points per game, all the numbers actually – on the offensive side go up in nuggets losses for Aaron Gordon. And so I think the concern here and this and this predates even his time with the Nuggets. Not just this year and the year prior, but with Orlando as well. The knock on Aaron Gordon. The the fair one, not the one that he was a, a high overall lottery pick and should have turned into a superstar because he could dunk. not the, the but the fair one. And the one that that I, when the, they made the trade, which I liked, but Talk to people in Orlando about it. Someone familiar with that franchise. The major complaint coming out of Orlando was settles for threes too often, and he's not a very good three-point shooter. Now, Aaron Gordon is not 21 years old. He kind of is the player he is. And and this is these are the kind of things you have to look at. This is the, the fringes and the margins you operate on when you're trying to be a championship caliber team. We talked about Jamal Murray, brilliant player. However,. When Jamal Murray is bad, it's when he thinks he needs to take on all the weight of the world on his own shoulders, tries to do too much, doesn't play well. Now, ordinarily, you're not worried about that. Trying to win a title, you better understand where your guys are at their best and where you're at the worst. Nikola Jokic has his flaws, too. He gets in foul trouble early or doesn't get a couple fouls early. He can still, even though he's gotten better at this over his career, he can still get a little off his game. Frustrated with the referees. Aaron Gordon's drawback is when he is actually hitting a couple early threes He starts feeling it from three and gets away from what makes him a unique player. And so these are the kind of things and the challenges that Michael Malone and his staff are going to have to navigate as this team continues to go along. You have to make sure that you maximize what your players can do and minimize the situations where the very human elements of their personality can come into play. And that's just the difference when you're talking about this level of competition. Look who is left. In just the West, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson. These are the talents. And and if you're, and uh, And Jordan
1: Poole from time to time. Despite
0: Nikola Jokic has won two MVPs, out of those names I ran off, the average basketball fan, Jokic is near the bottom of that. The only person below Jokic on that list is Murray. The Nuggets have by far the least visible players of the remaining team. Are they the best team left? I think when they play well, they are. But that's the reality of what they have to face. And that's where I think when you talked about it, the coaching challenge for Michael Malone, when you compare to the other coaches, and to be fair, it's, it's starting to thin out. Darvin Hamm doesn't have, he's done a nice job. I, he hasn't, as Malone's experience, obviously in this case. Uh, All of a sudden, you know, do I think (laughs) Michael Malone compares to Steve Kerr? No, I do not. In fact, I don't think there's a coach left in this that does. anywhere. but Malone's challenge is to make sure with his players, the funny thing is for the most part, and it is overconfidence that stings the Nuggets. And so when they are playing well like they are now, and I get the fact that the, the Suns are wounded and they have uh, they're missing Chris Paul and that's going to make things hard. And I get the fact the Nuggets are up 2-0. But overconfidence is the Nuggets' worst enemy right now and it's leaning all into it. So now we're going to find out Michael Malone has done actually a pretty darn good job and a great job in this series in the first two games of the series as head coach. A great, Especially Monday a night. Great when job.
1: when the game was in doubt with heck 3 minutes to go it was a three-point game, mm-hmm. one possession game. three minutes to go. Now, I, I never thought the Nuggets were going to lose the other night, but a lot of that had to do with the way that Malone deployed his personnel the other night. I thought he was pitch perfect in just about every move he made, and it was noticeable that every move he made seemed to work out, and by the end of the game, you look at the box score, and the eight rotation guys all played from 16 minutes on up to whatever it was, high thirties. Right. Yeah, I don't think yeah, anybody it played more than four. No, it wasn't. No, maybe mistake.
0: I don't believe. So. I I don't believe so. I think I'll have to look, but I think Murray maybe maxed out at thirty nine. But I think you're you're pretty close to it. Well, and, yeah, I'm saying nobody played. Right. It. Yeah. And oh uh, no no 40s. sorry, Jokic and Caldwell Pope got to forty one. Murray
1: at thirty nine. Oh, that's Murray's right. 39. That's that's right.
0: But that's you're right. you're right. But at the same time, these things do. Uh, that's that's the, the challenge here for Malone. This is an opportunity for him to take the next step, and it builds on itself. Right. You can watch it with, with the Warriors with Kerr. When Steve Kerr pushes a particular button, and you as a fan may watch that game and go, that's interesting. You know his players trust him to do it because he's done it before, and it turns out well. Michael Malone now has an opportunity, as he's building upon this, that when he's making these moves like he did on Monday, more and more, the players are realizing, okay, co- coach has got this. He's making the right choices for us. The Nuggets need all of this to win their first title. And while it's really all systems go right now, that now with with, with Philly's abysmal loss last night, the Never Nuggets have looked like the best team in the playoffs that's still around. Period. They have. They have the lowest tied for the lowest number of losses. And They look terrific doing. But they're trying to do not only one thing they've never done before, but two things they've never done before. They've certainly never won an NBA title, but they've never won a Western Conference title. And every game they get closer to it. You heard about this in the Stanley Cup playoffs all the time, right? Yet it's not that different. Still need 16 wins. Still mission 16 W for the Nuggets too. And every single one that you're pursuing is harder than the one before. And so for the Nuggets... My only concern is that things look so dire for Phoenix when the Stephen A. Smiths of the world are piling on and saying the Suns have no chance against the Nuggets. That's, I want the Nuggets to be fingers in their ears going blah, blah,
1: blah, blah not paying attention. Right, right. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm not saying that they'll absolutely win tomorrow night or should have to win tomorrow night. They don't. Oh, boy, if they could, though. They don't. Uh, they don't. And, and I... I kind of thought this way with Minnesota and didn't really work out. Minnesota actually played a little better in game four than it had in game three. Both were home games, Um, but they they, Minnesota could have been swept very easily by the nuggets. They blew a big lead late in game four. It went to overtime and Minnesota hung on thanks to Anthony Edwards and and won game four. I I think Phoenix provides a little more resistance. They're tougher at home. Uh, They've been that way without Durant uh, and with Durant. And, you know, I I, I think a certain amount of inspiration will propel Booker and Durant both to have better games than they had in either of the first two. Um, Do they have enough in the way of support? I think Aiton has to be, you know, an 18, 10 to 12 rebound guy. Um, He hasn't been in the first two games, not even close. Um, they need something from their bench. They've had absolutely nothing from their bench so far in this series, but bench guys tend to play better at home. Uh, w- what I'm saying is that the Nuggets need to play with the same kind of resolve and intelligence that they brought to bear on the first two games and on, well, six of the first seven they played in the uh, playoffs so far. Um, I-, I think, you know, and it, People are already speculating on dream matchups for the NBA Finals, and surprise, surprise, none of those matchups <laughs> none of them involve were the, the nuggets. nuggets. Right? But I actually think the Nuggets and Boston would be the purest matchup going by the fact that uh, the Boston Celtics are running a very familiar offense to Denver basketball fans, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, and, of course, the Nuggets are playing as efficient a brand of offensive basketball as they have played, perhaps ever, in their NBA history.
0: We will have uh, more on the Nuggets in a bit. We turn our attention to the Colorado Avalanche, interesting story about Ben Durando and the Denver Post, uh, covering them, and brings up an interesting point. Did the Avalanche's choice for Chris McFarland and Joe Sackick to more or less stand pat at the trade deadline actually pan out? Now, granted, that's... uh, Little bit of 2020 hindsight and requires a little bit of, uh, well, cynicism. But there's an argument to be made. We'll talk about it next on Mile High Sports.
1: This is
0: Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Of course, the Colorado Avalanche Sandy lose in the first round a frustrating loss. It kind of felt as if the Avalanche injuries uh, situations outside their control when it comes to players. Uh, It just seems that they ran out of gas. And an interesting story today of the Denver Post. Bennett Durando on the story uh, did bring up the comparison for the Avs. And like I said, this takes a small amount of cynicism. But if you're an Avs fan who is uh, trying to... uh, salve that wound there. This may help you a little bit. It's a pretty good point. The avalanche were criticized by a few people, this host included, I point the finger right at myself, for being a little too passive at the trade deadline and not going and getting more depth. Well, they didn't do it. And I do still believe, quite frankly, more depth might still have the Avalanche playing right now. They only lost, uh, you know, in game seven. So I think they could have found a way to, to make it bad with a little bit more depth. As depth was the problem for this team. That and a power play that the lights completely turned out on. But it's worth noting that three of the biggest spenders, when you're talking to the trade deadline, getting either depth players or even trying to get a significant players. They flamed out. Uh, remember, of course, Boston was on route to having, at, at the time, the best season ever, which they did, best regular season of all time. They landed Tyler Bertuzzi from Detroit, cost them, uh, uh, and they ended up also Dmitry Orlov, uh, Hathaway from Washington. All three are going to be unrestricted free agents. They got rentals, right, which is what you get this time of the year. Cost them two first-round picks, a second-rounder, a third-rounder, a fourth-rounder, and their winger, Craig Smith. Their season's over at the same time the Avs were. Took one more day. They were out one day after the Avs were after. Game seven well, this year. They
1: both played Game seven. So well, that was they lost the same day. Oh, you're
0: correct. I'm sorry. Sunday. They lost on the exact same day. Same day,
1: just hours apart. I mean, the Bruins had the early game, and the Avs played. And later. they blew a three-one series lead. And they were up three-one, and they were up three-two, which the Avalanche, of course, were not in Game seven with just over a minute to play. Now, how about the Rangers? Rangers, of course, yeah. puts got some name well, players. They went and get
0: Patrick Kane. They get yeah. Vladimir Tarasenko. Of conditional first, conditional second, conditional third, two fourth rounders. Uh, a forward, two a- AHL defensemen, and guess what? A Kane is obviously near the end of it, and Tarasenko is a guy that's the guy to try to re-sign him. So look at the picks that were given up. I mean, it's remarkable. Well, and the, the Lightning, too, with picking up Tanner Janot, they gave up uh, a first as well, and
1: Cal Foot. Listen, they uh, lost if, in six. if I'm the Rangers, and I know Chris DeRue a little bit, uh, pretty well, actually. Yeah. Uh, and he pick. is the general manager now of the New York Rangers. And I think he's a good young general manager. I would have done in his position exactly what he did. However, you do this and I do this. And uh, I like to think that uh, most every host at this station does this. You don't analyze in a vacuum. What I'm reading about Patrick Kane are quotes from his former teammates in Chicago who say this with a tremendous amount of admiration and respect for Patrick Kane. And basically what they said was he had a bad hip this year when he was here and he had a bad hip, believe it or not, after he was traded to the Rangers. And much like Gabe Landeskog a year ago, Patrick Kane already having won several Stanley Cups, wanted one more crack at it. And obviously, New Chicago wasn't the place to be if you wanted this year a chance at the Stanley Cup. So he gets out and he goes to the Rangers, a third-place team in a very strong division that had well over 100 points and would have had well over 100 points without the Patrick Kane deal, but he goes there and the Chicago players have been quoted as saying, after watching Kane in the playoffs, that's not the same guy who played for us. He wasn't the same player. He'll probably need surgery on the hip. Who knows how many years he's going to play. I'm sure he'd like to stay with the Rangers, but he'll have to do it at a vastly reduced salary cost, and probably a short-term deal if there is any deal offered to him by Chris Drury at all. Again, I would have made the Tarasenko deal, although I think Tarasenko missed Ryan O'Reilly a little more than maybe he thought he would. And, of course, Ryan O'Reilly is still in the playoffs, signed right. for Toronto. That was a trade that was smart, made by the Toronto Maple Leafs. But I'm not saying the other trades weren't smart. What I'm saying is that sometimes guys don't adjust, and sometimes they're hurt. Sometimes they're hurt and a bit of damaged goods when you get them, and that was the case with Patrick Kane. Patrick Kane was one of the players I thought the avalanche might go after, especially before the season began. I preferred Jonathan Taves. Well, as it turned out, both were either sick or injured at the trade deadline, and, you know, Taves, if he plays again, which is kind of sort up in the air, he won't be playing for the Blackhawks, and Kane, after Tereschenko got traded, was very disappointed because he didn't think the Rangers would have any interest in him after they got Terasenko. and then, of course, Kane was, in fact, later traded on to the New York Rangers, but he wasn't himself. And if he had come here, he wouldn't have been himself. He would have been some version uh almost 20 years later of Temu Salani slash Paul Korea, who weren't what they were supposed to have been right. when they were acquired by the Colorado Avalanche. And when that happened prior to the O three, oh four season, I mean everyone thought the Avalanche are back in the Stanley Cup. Business again, they were a full fledged title contender and they were anything but once the playoffs came along. The Maple Leafs
0: and Ryan O'Reilly still going, and that's worked out so far so very good. well now, of course. Very well. And I, I, do I
1: like Ryan O'Reilly personally? Not, not especially. Uh, do I have respect for him as a player? Yes, actually, more respect than I had for him as a player. Yeah. Uh, with the Avalanche. <laughs> he works hard. He has grown as a player. Uh, he was a uh, 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 Conn Smythe winner, I believe, in 2019 when the Blues won the Cup. I mean, he's won a Stanley Cup. Now, let me, let he's me won nip a Stanley something in cup, the bud. And he's he's very good for Toronto. The idea that he would have come back here, yes. of course, ignores the fact that he left on very very, very bad, bad terms. terms. Every time at least one major figure of the Avalanche organization who is still a major figure in the Avalanche organization. Joe Sackick basically had the same view of Ryan O'Reilly as I did. And I didn't come to my view because of Joe Sackick, and he certainly didn't come to his view of Ryan O'Reilly because of me, but we had basically the same view of him at least when he was here. Good on him, and listen, uh, there there were times when... You, you wondered whether, you know, the Avalanche ended up getting uh, rid of both O'Reilly and Matt Duchesne. Not it wasn't they kept one and let the other go and they let the wrong guy go. They, they got rid of them both. And especially the Shane deal was a, a tremendous bonanza, as it turned out, for the Colorado Avalanche. But what I'm saying is uh, trades made with the best of intentions at the deadline don't always work out and the Avalanche did incredibly well last year, although for a while it appeared that Josh Manson wasn't working out here. Right. Uh, Arturi Leckanen was always working out here, but Josh Manson was not. Uh, Cogliano was, was okay, but I'll tell you, I thought Cogliano was much better in the playoffs, and Manson was obviously a great deal better in the playoffs than he was during the regular season last year, so you don't know. And, you know, it's easy to knock the ass for not doing anything They've given up a lot of draft picks. Well, and How year, many more number ones do you want
0: them to give up? Right, and they work. For and, Reynolds. And here's the trick, because O'Reilly, the O'Reilly deal works out. I'm glad you pointed that out, because every time Ryan O'Reilly's name pops up around these parts, how come he can't be signed with the Fs? Well, because they don't ever want to, to. He doesn't want to play here either. Yeah, to quote one Taylor Swift, they're never, ever getting back together. That Just learn to live with it, everybody. It's ha- That's the way it's going to go. But the, the end tally in this, for those three teams that were eliminated in the first round, like the apps, the lightning and the Rangers and the Bruins 15 draft picks and five players <laughs> for those additions. Yeah. And they got them no further than the Colorado Absolutely. avalanche. And they probably won't be re-signing a single one of them.
1: Probably not. So probably not.
0: It is always a gamble. And maybe in, in this case, you know, who knows maybe in in retrospect, if the Avs want to keep their championship window open, you have to be able to find the way to retain some picks so you can make some moves
1: next time. To me, the Avalanche have three priorities uh, this off season. offseason. Uh, really two. One, the first, find out, find out what's going on with Landis God. That's number one. Long-term injured reserve or not. Number two, do a bridge contract with Bo Byron. Yes. Yep. That's second. Now, third might be some sort of decision on JT Comfort, but I think that decision has sort of already been made at, at the price he can get. The Avs can't afford them. I would argue that because of that, their biggest decision involves what are you going to
0: do with Devon Taves, who's a free agent after next year. That's the next step. Can you get an extension done?
1: Uh, yeah. But I I would even put Byram as a priority over Taves. Oh, I
0: would too. Taves. I just think that Taves needs to be behind that at, at three. I'd put that even ahead of Comfort. On the list,
1: you know. Well, I, hey. Yeah, the Comfort thing, I think, has already yeah. sort of been decided. i just throw that in there because he, he was a player of some consequence, mm-hmm. uh, especially this year. Uh, For the Avalanche, when his uh, uh, offensive production basically matched Nazem Kadri's offensive, and you and I agree that on somewhere on the list, it's not it's not high, but it definitely should be
0: on the things to do, especially because the Avs do need depth. Uh, Find a way to get something done with Evan Rodriguez. Bring him back. I agree. We will see want to know your opinion on it as well. 303-831-1340 is the call and text line. Uh, we're going to take a look at the NBA and NHL playoffs on the whole from a slightly different perspective as the uh, the president of Mile High Sports. And, of course, you know him as uh, the host of You Bet Tonight on Altitude Television. Nate Lundy will join us in studio. Actually here. He's actually here. Can you believe it? At the company he runs? Yeah, just a couple doors down. We'll grab him. Catch him a couple minutes next on Mile High Sports.